Allow me to pray for us as we get started. We'll pray, um, and then we'll jump in with our first session. Lord God, we thank you for bringing us here this weekend. We thank you for bringing us here safely. Thank you, Lord, that you've called each of us here uh, by your will to be here together this weekend and to learn from your word. But I pray that you would indeed teach us and change us, convict us and mold us into your image. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen me. Lord, that not be my words, but your words. And God, they, they are nothing without your grace and your power to work through and reach our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would indeed speak to us and that you'd be glorified. And help us see how amazing and magnificent you are. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. How many of you guys remember having bedtime stories before you went to bed? Okay? Is you a kid? Okay, good, right? Maybe you remember that's something you look forward to, getting ready for bed. Maybe your parents would read you a bedtime story. Um, I don't know how many of you guys remember some of your own favorite bedtime stories. Some of my favorites, uh, number one is probably Go Dogs Go. Anyone read Go Dogs Go as a doctor? See, that's a good one, right? That's a classic. I love Go Dogs Go. Um, Frog and Toad are friends. Yes. Yeah. Yes? Frog and Toad. Okay, some people still know that one. That one got an applause. Okay, good. Uh, Bears in the Night. No? Anyone? Bears in the Night? Okay, there you go. Chung Boys. Okay. That's a good one, right? Now, one of my favorites, but I was probably about four or five it was called Dangerous Journey. Ooh, Anyone read that one? That's a good one. Okay, you can't. I know. The, the title was actually. Yeah. The title was Dangerous Journey, colon, The Story of Pilgrim's Progress. Okay? And so that's what it was. And the art was magnificent. Um, still, when I read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, I picture Dangerous Journey, right? It was very, very good. And as a kid. I, I just liked that book for the adventure, even though it's the story of Pilgrim's Progress. Right? It's the adventure. I liked the pictures, the art. Uh, I liked seeing him fight Apollyon. I liked seeing him go through Vanity Fair. I liked seeing him face the giant, right? Like these adventurous things. But now, as, as an adult, as I read Pilgrim's Progress, maybe through Sunday school, some of us, right, read it in Sunday school, or I, or I read it uh, at school, and as I teach this seventh grade Bible class, we read through it. Now as an adult, I appreciate it much more. So I understand now that there's, there's much more going on in the story here than just an adventure and this journey that this pilgrim is on. I understand that there's more to it. I understand more of the depth of what John Bunyan was trying to convey. And probably not entirely everything I understand of what he was trying to convey, but definitely more now than when I was four years old. As we look in detail of the story of Jonah, it's probably a story that most of you guys are familiar with, right? In fact, it's probably one of the, the, the handful of Bible stories that you hear even at a very, very young age, three or four or five. Like You've probably heard the story of Jonah all growing up in life. You don't even have to be you don't even have to grow up in the church. Even a lot of unchurched and, and unbelievers know the story of Jonah. 
That's a memorable story. I mean, you have this guy named Jonah. He runs away from God. He gets swallowed up by a giant fish. He spends a few nights in there, and then he gets spat out on land, preaches to these people. They repent, and Jonah's not happy. <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's the gist of the story. And you're like, yeah, that's probably what I recall. That's probably what you're familiar with. But there's much more to this story. There's much more to this prophet Jonah. And there's much more to our incredible God, who is really the main character of the story. And the title of this weekend is called Arise. Arise. And this word is used a few times in this, this small four-chapter book, which we're going to see all throughout this weekend. We're going to hear that common theme, arise, arise, arise. And in short, it's, it's a call to everyone. It's a call to everyone to arise. It's a call to the believer, the Christian, to arise, to get up and do the work of the Lord, to get up and share the mercy of God to others, to get up and to be a servant of God to all peoples. It's a call to the unbeliever, to the unchristian, to arise, to get up from your life of sin and to repent to God, to get up from your rebellion and to turn to Christ. For forgiveness, to get up from your rejection of God and to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. So to all who are here this weekend, I say to you, arise. Arise in the ways in which God is calling you to arise today. Awake, O sleeper, as the psalmist would say, and arise. Will you respond? To the call of God and arise. I challenge everyone here to think deeply of your own life this weekend. Do not think that these messages are for others to hear. That these messages are it's, it's for someone else. Yeah, they definitely need to hear this. These messages are for you to hear. These messages are for me to hear. And they've been kicking my butt in the last several weeks I've been preparing this. Do not waste this time that we have together this weekend. Do not waste this time as we are soaking in God's word together. But arise and take heed to his call and ask that the spirit would work in your hearts this weekend. And so tonight, is in our intro session, we're going to look at just a brief overview of the book of Jonah, the whole thing. And we're going to start off by reading the entire book, so we can hear it from start to finish. We're going to read chapters 1 through 4. So I hope you're there in your Bibles in Jonah chapter 1, as we're going to read through it all together. And I've invited my, my guy, Jay, to come up here and read it for us. Would you please? I had to use a digi Bible so I could read it. Otherwise, I'd be up here with some straight Bibles. Straight judging me already. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nivea, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come, come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa 
and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came down and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you, will give, uh, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they say to him, Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempest. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, and they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempest against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah. And hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to follow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his great God, the Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his great God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surround me. All your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have, I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Then 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against the message that I, will, that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let not them feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out to the mighty, call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn his relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of his disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat in the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in a, in the shade Till he, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked that plant, so it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity... Nivea, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Jason. So tonight we are going to look at a brief overview of all of that, right? The entire book of Jonah. What is this story all about? And while we will look in depth 
at the prophet Jonah, we're really seeking to look more in depth at God and the character of God. And we're going to see that while Jonah already knew much about the character of God, being a prophet of God, he will now actually experience the truth of the character of God as it plays out in his own life. And the story is really about that, about the character of God. It's about the depth of God's mercy and the absoluteness of his sovereignty. His mercy and his sovereignty. Throughout this weekend, we're going to see many different aspects in this book that point us to both God's mercy and God's sovereignty. And tonight, as we have a brief overview, we're going to look at three descriptors of this story. We're going to see that this is a story of supernatural events, that it's a story of mercy, and that it's a story of impartiality. All right, so first, it's a story of supernatural events. Now, literature is written in a variety of different forms. So as we seek to understand scripture, we must understand how Jonah was written. And some people will say Jonah is a parable. It is a fictitious story that is conveying some kind of virtuous truth. And there's nothing wrong with the parable. Jesus spoke in many parables. But this is not a parable. This is not a fictitious story. Some say that Jonah is an, is an allegory. An allegory is a story that teaches truths by using symbolic fictional narrative. Can anyone think of maybe the most popular allegories in the world. Pilgrim's Progress, thank you, okay? Pilgrim's Progress is, I think, one of the greatest allegories ever written. It's not a real story, but it uses a lot of symbolism to convey truth. This is not an allegory. It's not a symbolic story. See, the problem with both of these beliefs is that it dismisses the fact that this is indeed a true story. These are real events that took place in history. Jonah is neither a parable nor an allegory. Jonah is a historic narrative. It is a true story. That what we have read in the book of Jonah and what we will examine this weekend are true events. Every single thing written down is true. It truly happened. They are not exaggerations. They are not symbolic. They are not made up. This is a true story that took place thousands of years ago. And the main reason I think why people believe that Jonah is either a parable or an allegory is because of the numerous accounts of supernatural events that take place. I mean, let's be honest. There's some pretty crazy things that happen. I mean, a man gets swallowed up by a fish. And then he gets spat up three days later and he lives to tell the story. I mean, think about everything that we even just read tonight. The whole storm situation, the casting of the lots, they throw them over, and then all of a sudden the storm just stops. And then the whole fish thing, and then the, the, the instant repentance and revival of a God-hating people, and then the plant that just grows up, and then a worm that eats it. Like, what is going on, right? Like, the book is just filled with the events. I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. This could never happen. And according to natural science, that's correct. It could never happen. But it's a good thing that we don't worship a God who is bound 
by natural science. We, we worship a God who works outside of nature. And it comes down to this. Do you believe in a supernatural God? Do you believe in a miraculous God? Or do you only believe in what human science can explain? God is a God of miracles. He's a God of the miraculous. You can't say, well, I don't believe in miracles because science can't prove them. By definition, a miracle is the miraculous. Of course, science can't prove it. It requires faith to believe in miracles. It's not something that can be explained through procedures in a lab. God is a miraculous God, and he's not bound by science. He is supernatural. His works and his dealings with mankind is supernatural. So do not bow in submission to the limits of science and nature, but bow in submission to the holy, almighty, supernatural creator, God. As we study the book of Jonah this weekend, we're going to see some supernatural, miraculous stuff. And do not dismiss it as exaggeration or folklore or symbolism, but recognize it as supernatural, miraculous event that occurred through the hands of a supernatural, miraculous God. And know that God is still a supernatural God who works in supernatural ways even today. God works in ways that are unexpected and unexplainable. God works in ways in which you can only take a step back and say, wow, only through God could that have happened. And if you are never seeing that in your life, you need to open up your eyes and wake up. Because God is at work today. In what ways have you seen the hand of God work in and through your life? ways have you seen that take time really take time to recognize these things and give him the praise and the worship do his name sometimes our lives are so filled with blessings that we forget to acknowledge and recognize the hand that it came from sometimes our life is so filled with trials and hardships that we forget to acknowledge and recognize God's faithfulness And goodness through it all. Know that God is still working today. And he is a supernatural and miraculous God who works in supernatural and miraculous ways. Secondly, we see that this is a story of mercy. It's a story of mercy. The book of Jonah is filled with mercy. With God's mercy. God's mercy toward his servant Jonah and God's mercy toward the Ninevites. Let's just briefly look at both. First, time and time again, we see how God shows incredible mercy to the prophet Jonah. And when he was thrown over the side of the boat, God was merciful in sending a fish to save his life. 
God was merciful in keeping them alive in the fish. God was merciful in blessing his ministry to the Ninevites. God was merciful in giving him a plant for shade. I mean, time and time again, we see God's mercy towards Jonah. It's not that Jonah deserved this mercy. In fact, Jonah was a bit of a brat. Right? Did you hear that when Jason was reading? It's like, well, come on, Jonah. Jonah said and did a lot of things that were, were, were not the best. And yet God continued to show mercy upon mercy upon mercy. If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, you ought to reflect deeply of the mercy of God in your life. And it starts with the infinite salvific mercy upon your soul. Let us never forget the mercy of God. Let us never forget that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were sons of disobedience, that we were children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together with Christ. Let us not forget the mercy of God in saving our own souls. It is the greatest act of mercy that one can ever receive. And not only has God been merciful to you in salvation, Christian, but he is merciful to you every day. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, says Lamentations 3. You will receive mercy in abundance today. And you will receive an abundance of mercy tomorrow. His mercy sustains you each and every day. We do not deserve his mercy. And yet he continues to freely give it to us. Christian, do you see how much mercy you have received from God? And how much mercy you continue to receive from God. Do you see that? How is it then that you can receive so much mercy and yet not show mercy to others? How is that possible? How is it that we can be flooded with the mercies of God and turn to our brother and sister and withhold mercy from them? Jesus says in Luke 6, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Christian, you have received the mercy of God. Do you show that mercy to others as well? And the other side of mercy that we see in this story is the mercy that God shows to Nineveh. And we really must understand the situation here. I think it's easy for us to say, Jonah, like, what is the deal? Like, just go. Just go preach to Nineveh. Like, why are you making such a big fuss about it? Just go to Nineveh. We have to understand, I think, that Nineveh, like, I understand the situation. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And they were the most powerful nation of the known world. And they were great enemies to Israel for years. You understand? Like, Enemies to Jonah and his people, God's people. You typically seek to bring down your enemy, not give them what is best. And, and, and what is better than mercy from God and salvation from him? That's why Jonah has such an issue with preaching to them. He's like, these are our enemies. These people hate you. And you want to give them the best gift ever? But even though Nineveh was a hostile enemy to God's people, 
God still shows mercy to them. God is extending a hand of mercy and he is granting them salvation to God-hating people. God-hating. God says, I want to show them mercy. Do you see how great God's mercy is? Even those who curse his name, even those who want nothing to do with him, even those who hate him, God extends mercy to them. In fact, if you are a Christian here today, that was you. That was you. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This was you. Thank God for his mercy. As we study the book of Jonah, pay attention to God's mercy. Pay attention to God's mercy spilling out to everyone involved. I mean, even the fishermen and Jonah and the Ninevites. I mean, it's everywhere. And examine in your own life the ways in which God has been abundantly merciful to you. And examine your own life if you're reflecting that same mercy to others. And then lastly, we see And this is a story of impartiality. It's a story of impartiality. We've seen that Jonah is a story of supernatural events, that Jonah is a story of mercy. And lastly, we see Jonah is a story of impartiality. And it's similar to mercy, although I think it brings it deeper. The story of Jonah shows us that God's mercy shows no partiality. That God's mercy is not just for those who are like us. God's mercy is not just for those who think like us, who look like us, who have the same background as us. But God's mercy is impartial. It is for all. God's mercy has no boundaries. Jonah did not want to preach to Nineveh. Why? Because he didn't want God's mercy to extend to them. He didn't want them to be saved. And we're going to look into that more detail later this weekend. But you know, I, I... I really needed to reflect on this in my own life. As I was studying this, I really needed to reflect on this in my own life. Because at first I thought, I'm, I'm fine preaching the gospel to anyone. Like, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm not, I'm not a racist. I'm, 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 I'm good for, with anyone hearing the gospel. So I'm not sure I can really relate to Jonah here. Like, I, I just feel like he's got an issue, and I don't know if I can relate to that issue. Maybe some of you guys are feeling similar. But as I reflected on this more, I realized I'm much more like Jonah than I thought that I was. See, for me, I had asked the question, do I have relentless love for the lost? Do I have a relentless love for the lost and for those who are not like me? For those who are not like me, do I I have a relentless love for them? Or do I look down on them in my spiritual pride? It's easy to become frustrated at the unbelievers around us. To look at those in our community or those in our families or even in society as a whole and just give up on them. To look at their sinful lifestyle and think, look, they're they're not going to repent. 
They're just not going to. Besides, look at their life. Like they, they've, they've already made their beds. Like this, it, they're, they're, they're not churchgoers. Let me spend time on those who, who deserve it more. Let me spend time on those who have a better chance at being saved. Like these, these guys are just far gone. They're lost. How quickly we can lose compassion for the lost. Especially towards those who are different than us. Especially towards those who they, they don't grow up in the church. Those who, who are rough around the edges. Those who don't seem like, like quote, Christian material. And we say, I'm going to spend my time on someone else. How do you respond? How do you interact? How do you extend mercy and compassion to the sinful, lost world around you? Do you move towards those who are blind to the truth of Christ and are living in utter darkness? Or do you move away from them? Are you moving towards them or are you moving away from them? They need the mercy of God just as much as you and I. Christian, do we not quickly forget who we are without Christ? Let us not, in in spiritual pride, look at the unbelieving world around us and view them as who we are not, when instead we should be viewing them as who we were and who we are apart from Christ. We forget it is only because of the mercy of God that we are not in their same shoes. So without the mercy of God, we'd be right there with them. I'm not suggesting that we need to be hanging in the, in the midst of dark counsel. I'm not suggesting that, that we need to be influenced by sinful lifestyle. But I'm talking about a compassion for the lost. Do you move towards them? Or do you move away from them? Do you see the unbelieving world as those who need the mercy of God just as you do? Or do you look down upon the unbelieving world as if you are somehow above them? How do you respond to those who are different than you? How do you respond? Let's just, let's just start there. Let's start right there. How do you respond? How do you, how do you interact with those who are different than you? Let's start there. What kind of a youth group are we going to be? What kind of a youth group are we going to be? Let me be honest. A little bit of house cleaning. The type of youth group that we are becoming is a youth group that is not welcoming to those who are not like us. I do believe that this is an issue in our group. When new people come, And they're not like us. Do they feel welcomed? Oh yeah, we asked some questions about the zombie apocalypse. So what? That's how they feel welcomed? And then the night's over and we just pretend like they don't exist? I can tell you pretty confidently that recently many new people have not felt welcomed by us. I can say that very confidently. And not completely, not 100%, but collectively as a group, 
I think that this is something that we can improve on. We often move towards those who are like us. And we move away from those who are not. What kind of a youth group are we going to be? Will you move towards those who look different than you? Will you move towards those who have different interests than you? Will you move towards those who have different beliefs than you? Will you move towards them in compassion and love? Or will you, like Jonah, move away from them and run the other way? And we say, oh yeah, no, I, I want the gospel to go to anyone and everyone, of course. You desire for others to receive something so grand and so amazing as the gospel, and yet you aren't willing to walk over to them and spend five minutes to get to know them? That does not make sense. How can you just say that you desire for them something so grand as the love of God and salvation from him, and you, you are unwilling to do something so small, such as spend five minutes to get to know them? It does not make sense. Do you really have love and compassion for those who are not like you? Do you? Or are you more like Jonah than you thought you were? I know I am. Do not forget the mercy of God that has been extended to you. And extend this mercy to all, even to those who are not like you, even to those who do not like you, even to those who you do not like. Extend the mercy of God to them. As we close tonight, as we prepare to dive into this book of Jonah, I say to to us, arise. Arise. If you are a Christian, arise to your call to do the work of the Lord and to share God's mercy to all. You have received the greatest mercy of all. Will you not share that mercy with others? It starts with a love and a compassion for the lost. To share the gospel to those who are in need. Remember where you would be apart from the mercy of God in your life. Remember where you'd be and realize that this is where the unbelieving world is without God. And be drawn with compassion to share with them the mercy and the grace of God. Ray Comfort, he once said, he said, quote, I am both a coward and a hypocrite if I believe the world is going to hell but fail to verbally warn them, end quote. Christian, if you believe what you say you believe, then how can you withhold the gospel from others? Remember the mercy of God and share that mercy with all. If you are not a Christian, if you're here and you're not a Christian, know that this mercy is available to you. 
Jesus Christ has made a way that you would be reconciled to God. You and I are sinners who are guilty before a holy and just God. You and I are hopeless in our sin. We aren't able to make ourselves right before God. But Jesus changes everything. You see, he has made me alive in him. He has forgiven me of all my sin. He has shown me mercy and he has saved me. And so I am no longer seen as guilty. I am no longer hopeless, but I am redeemed through the blood of Christ. And the same can be true for you. Receive the mercy of God. And ask that he would grant you faith to believe and a heart of repentance that submits to Christ as king. As we embark on this journey with Jonah, let us see ourselves in the story. But most of all, let us see this great, amazing, glorious God in this story. May God bless our time together this weekend. Let me pray. Lord God, you are holy, awesome, and amazing. You are worthy of all praise and worship. God, I ask for your grace to be upon us. God, give us understanding. Help us see you more clearly so that we may worship you. Change our hearts, God, for your glory and your praise. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.